It's time for Security Now. Steve Gibson, the explainer-in-chief, is here to, to talk about. Get ready. Get your propeller beanies on. This is one of those uh, special Security Now episodes. He's going to explain a new kind of crypto invented in the, the late 90s. So it's practically brand new. Fully homomorphic encryption next on Security Now. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for Security Now is provided by the new Winamp for Android, featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com slash android. Video bandwidth for Security Now is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 376, recorded October 31st, 2012, Fully Homomorphic Encryption. Security Now is brought to you by GoToAssist from Citrix. Take control of your IT world from one simple cloud-based platform. Provide live or unattended support to all your users anywhere. Sign up for your 30-day free trial today at GoToAssist.com. Use the promo code SECURITY. It's time for security now. Get ready, ladies and gentlemen. Propeller hats at the ready. Here he is, our explainer-in-chief, Steve Gibson. We talk, as always, every week about uh, technology, about protecting yourself, about security, about privacy. But sometimes we get into the weeds. And I don't know, but I'm just looking at the title of today's show, and I think this may be a weedy episode. Hi, Steve Gibson. Well, you know, Leo, we're not going to have you for three weeks. Tom Merritt and I are going to be doing the next three Security Now uh, episode. So I thought we would leave on a high note or a wound up propeller note or something. Ow. We uh, we tackled uh, ECC elliptic curve crypto two weeks ago, of course. And I thought while we're on the topic of esoteric encryption, uh, we ought to take a look at where the end, where the where the crypto world is today. Um, everything we're t- we've always been talking about is, you know, kind of it, it's new for us and it's in use now, but it's kind of old and dusty. I mean, you know, all this stuff is like, you know, the RSA patents expired a few years ago. So they're they're 20 years ago. And, you know, even the just chosen SHA-3 um, uh, secure uh, hash algorithm that 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 competition began eight years ago in in two thousand four. So you know what's going on right now, and what's go, what one of the things going on right now. One of the things that cryptographers are actively working on is something called homomorphic encryption <laughs> okay. or fully homomorphic encryption. And I'll just before we get into our top of the show stuff, I'll just I'll I can I can. Explain what it is that is and what it accomplishes, and it it'll just like bend our brains. Yeah, this is it is possible. It has now been shown. It was hypothesized by the RSI, RSA guys back in '78, shortly after they came up with the whole um, uh, factoring is hard, public key encryption technology. They posited the possibility of this 
the possibility of homomorphic encryption, but it was an it was an open question. And just three years ago, a grad student stunned the world by doing it. And what he did was mathematically demonstrated that it is possible to perform operations like standard computing operations, addition, multiplication, and so forth, on encrypted data without first decrypting it. So it's you encrypt wait, wait, data. Wait, 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 say that again. I know. It's what, what, amazing. What? So, so, for example, you could encrypt data, send it to the cloud, have work done on it, never decrypting it, the cloud has no idea what it's doing. I mean, it knows what it's the, what the processing is it's doing, but it never sees any results, no intermediate results. The all of everything stays encrypted the whole time. You get your result back encrypted, and only you are able to decrypt the the, the result. And this works. So that's the topic of that's today's That's exciting. Podcast. I don't understand that's, how it could possibly work, but we'll have to figure cool. it out. <laughs> and I know we'll find out. Pro yes. I was right. Propeller hats at the ready. Oh, boy. Oh, oh boy. And that uh, might be your costume for today's Halloween <laughs> podcast. I should point out, neither, neither Steve nor I are wearing Halloween costumes. I, you know, I wore a trench coat in. But it's because it's going to rain. <laughs> it's a raincoat. It's not. I'm not. I'm not. I should have just said, "Oh yeah, I'm go go get. I'm Inspector Gadget." There, Steve's got his twit fez on. That's a that's yeah. a costume. <laughs> no propeller on it, however. Nice tassel. Our yeah, show. No, you follow the tassel. You're like around. a kitty cat. You can't <laughs> a dog it's chasing full, its own tail. It's a hormomorphic tassel. <laughs> Our show today brought to you by our friends at Citrix who uh, are helping IT professionals with an amazing product that just gets better and better and better. You've heard me talk before about GoToAssist.com for its remote access. You know, it's it was a way to remotely, it still is, a way to remotely support people. And it has lots of, it's more than just, you know, there's other remote access solutions, but this is one designed for IT. So, for instance, you could do eight sessions at the same time. You can do unattended sessions. Uh, when you uh, wor work with somebody's computer, you'll get a assay of everything running, all the security software, what the late, what exactly, you know, down to the dot, what, what version of the operating system, all of that stuff. It's also cool because it lets you support Macs or PCs from Macs or PCs or iPads or iPhones or Android devices. So it really has become, because of that, the market leader in support, used by more support professionals than any other remote access solution. But what's interesting is they keep improving it. You know, a lot of companies would just sit, sit on their rest on their laurels, as it were, and uh, say, well, we got the best remote support. Why not just stay with that? But no, they've added more. They now have two new solutions. Go to Assist Service Desk, which lets you, it's, you know, it's a ticket system. Manage, track, and resolve issues. And uh, the thing that I've been getting so excited about, actually, is the remote support. They acquired a company that does, uh, not remote support, uh, remote monitoring. They acquired a company that does monitoring, and they built this into the product. And now you now you really have everything you need to be a support hero. You've got remote support, service desk, and monitoring. The monitoring lets you proactively track how your clients' networks are working. 
you'll start by installing the crawler on the network, which automatically detects everything, hardware and software, network attached devices too, so you know exactly what's on there. Every item on the network, and then, including software running on all the computers, then you can set up a dashboard. You can use their built-in modules or customize them to analyze things like server and network performance, CPU, load averages, disk utilization. You can even have a little thing that says how the toner cartridges are doing. This way, before there's a problem, you can go in and fix it. Proactive support. It's the best kind, both for you and your clients. Now, admittedly, your clients will never know. They'll just say, boy, you know, ever since he's, he or she started running our network, it just never, we never had problems. We just, because they will never see the problems, because you can fix them before they become big problems. They don't have to call you. It's good for you, too, because you can do this, you know, you can, you can, you know, people like our, our IT guy, who's a contract guy, he has 350 clients, three people. It, it's just, it, you need something like this to do that. We set him up with GoToAssist, and he loves it. In fact, he's moving over to it because it's less expensive than the much more complicated and much less capable solution he's been using. For remote support, for service desk, for monitoring, to support remotely using mobile devices, to support mobile devices, you've got to check it out. Visit GoToAssist.com. Find out about how it works, all the security, the SRP, Secure Remote Password Protocol that they use, high-end performance and then try it free for 30 days. You can try all the features free for 30 days. Just click the Try It Free button and use the promo code SECURITY. I'm telling you, if you're in IT, this is going to take you to the next level. Become a managed service provider or just become a support hero. Go to assist.com, try it free, use the promo code SECURITY. All right, Steve Gibson, we have a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit of uh, technology security news before we get to uh, homomorphic crypto. I scrounged around looking for interesting things that happened this week. Quiet week. And, yeah, the only thing I could find that I thought would be interesting uh, is in our ongoing following of the infamous Do Not Track header that we've talked about for a couple of years yeah, now. Yeah, as the, as the last time I heard, Microsoft is still saying IE10 is going, to, is, is going to turn it on by default, which means Apache will ignore it. Yep. In fact, IE10, I guess, already happened. Yeah, and we have it, it. It did not get pulled at the last minute. Nope. So not only Apache, but now Yahoo has formally stated that they intend to ignore it their term for it is signal abuse. Oh, wow. Um, since the, the W3C consortium said that it is to be off unless users turn it on, Microsoft feeling that users would turn it on if they understood what was going on, have it on unless users turn it, turn it off. And that's enough for Apache, as you said, and now we know Yahoo to say, okay, wow. we're just going to ignore it. Apache, and, I can uh, maybe is a little controversial, but you know Yahoo's an advertising company, basically, yes, right? Yes, so that's not too much um, of a surprise. And what's interesting is that Microsoft is planning to make IE10 available for Windows Seven, and they intend to still leave it set on unless it's turned off by the user during at at installation time. Wow! So, uh, you know, th- this will be an evolving. Uh, an evolving story. I'm proud of Microsoft. I don't say that. Have I ever said that? I don't think so. Wow. Uh, <laughs> what? 
<laughs> they never do anything that I think they should as when they should. And they, they've like, I'm really impressed. This is this is great. Um, you're impressed I mean, and, that they're that they are turning it on. Yes, but I'm you're not, not impressed, impressed with Yahoo or Apache for ignoring. Not it. at all. I think they're I think they are on the losing side. I think they'll this will be a skirmish for a while. It will end up being decided in favor of the user, which is obey DNT and you know, i.e. may get a reputation for being more private because it's got this turned on by default. And, you know, maybe other browsers will follow suit. Um I mean we'll we'll have to see how this happens. It is a for me, sort of an interesting little political uh, sidebar on the whole, you know, what's, how our security industry is evolving story. Um, I'm under embargo for some news that I cannot talk about until next week's podcast. Um, I will say only, I can say only, that there will be a significant update to one of our favorite TNO Trust No One cloud storage offerings that I will be able to share with our listeners, and I'm I'm excited about it um, oh. a week from now. Oh. Um, and that's all I could find that was that was. And there's the news. <laughs> and there you have it. Sorry about your commute, listeners. <laughs> well, we're going to get to homomorphic crypto, and uh, if you are driving the car. <laughs> Some of you, this you will find this stimulating and will wake you up. Others, you might want to hold off till you get home. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I actually think this is going to be good. Uh, I did want to thank a number of people who said, "Hey, Steve, this is over the last couple of weeks. What happened to the blinking lights behind you?" Wait a minute, because gone? they are again, but they haven't been for a couple of weeks. Oh, I didn't notice. And I realized, well, we'd had a power, a brief power uh. outage a few weeks ago. And all three of those little PDP-8s just came to a standstill. And I'm so used to them blinking that when they weren't, I didn't notice it. (laughs) But people were looking at the video going, hey, the lights have stopped. And so it was when they said, what's going on? I said, oh, that's true. And I started them up again. (laughs) And I just did want I wanted to do a shout out about the TV series on Showtime Homeland. Oh, I haven't watched it yet. Is it good? My... God. Now the premise of this is what? Um, it okay. We're in the second it's, season. It's, it's like Manchurian about, Candidate, kind of, right? We're about four. Yes, uh, we're about four weeks in. But last Sunday night's acting with Cl- Claire Danes is Love one her. of the leads, and some other random guy who we've never seen before, but he's good. It it was an interrogation, pretty much for most of the hour, but. With all, with knowing all the backstory and all of what was going on, and a very complex characters that have been painstakingly created. I mean, and she deserves awards, I think, for the for the for the job she's doing. Anyway, uh, you can get the discs or find it or borrow it or something for the first season. You need it. You meet really do need to catch up. But it is just, I don't know where it's going to go, but. It has been a season and a third of real fun. I mean, just I, no spoilers I, I just, now. No spoilers. No, I, I'm not. Mm, I, I don't mm, do that. No, so no. It is. It is really. I think because I haven't watched why. any of it. But so you, I should start at the beginning with season one. Oh, oh you have to have to start yeah. at the beginning. 
get the first season, you'll absolutely be hooked. And this and this second season is every bit as interesting. And I, I have to say, I after the first season has ended, it's like, okay, what about now? What are they going to do? And it is certainly the case that a concept can outlive its uh, its production. You know, we saw, for example. Galactica went off the rails like in about season four or something, where the Earth three. It's hard. Just... Four seasons is hard for any show. Even yeah, even West Wing kind of went downhill after four seasons. It's hard. Yeah. Then then you have the flip side where like Firefly gets canceled before <laughs> even the ones they have all they've produced have been aired. It's like, okay. Yeah. So I'm looking at and, Homeland is not on uh, Netflix. Let me see if it is a uh, instant video. Amazon Instant Video has it. Oh, good. So, uh, or you can buy a DVD, uh, but I can, I can really, stream it on Amazon. Really, really, really worthwhile. All right, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to start tonight. <laughs> I, 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 you'll 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 get sucked in. It is. Uh, I'll just say, and this is not any spoiler. She works with the CIA. She's a a, a field agent with expertise in the Middle East, and she is also. And this is not a spoiler. She is bipolar medicated seek but secretly because she could never work for the cia right. if they knew oh that that's and, interesting how interesting oh and her she's playing her character so well i mean it's just it's it's really good so uh for what it's worth if any, if anybody has some time to kill uh or likes you know damian lewis uh, always reminds me of steve mcqueen he has that pursed no, so Steve McQueen, no. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, anyway, I tweeted after watching, after, I mean, I was exhausted after the hour Sunday night of this most recent episode. And I You just needed tweeted, some I, coffee. Now, have you opened your bespoke post yet? <laughs> your box of awesome. It came, right? It did. I have it. And it, I have not opened it. Oh, it's sitting Steve. in the kitchen waiting for me. I, I just need to, you know, I have to create the environment for it, so... I will do so. You got the you got the the the, the uh, jar of cafe integral uh, beans. You've got the AeroPress, which all agree, all in sundries. I, you, have you used one of these before? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, so yeah. you know about that. Yeah, and I'm of course, the burr grinder some... now. Fabulous. Uh, oh, hand... So this is for power outages. <laughs> 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 so that you should not be without coffee. That's true. If you Mine can build a fire, have, my, my electric grinder does not have a crank on the side. No, so you, this is for I, power outages or those. Wait who's... a minute. Oh, I've got UPSs. I can plug it into one of my UPSs. <laughs> but you don't need to. You know, I, 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 it actually does a good job of grinding. Anyway, we, you know, these guys are a, a sponsor. I just wanted to mention the Bespoke Post folks. Uh, great geek gift. Don't give geeks. It's a big mistake to give geeks gadgets. No, we already have what we need. We know what and we want. And the chargers for them. Yeah. Don't, you know, it just you're just asking for trouble. I guess you could give them a gift card, but but you want to give them something tangible. And this is a great idea. Plus, it could come every month. They have It's a subscription club. Members only. Uh, if you go to bespokepost.com slash twit, you can get, uh, I think it's 20% off your first purchase at Bespoke Post, your first uh, kit. Um, a one-month gift, $50, three months, $135, half a year, 270 It's really nice. I mean, they get to choose uh, free shipping, easy returns. They get to choose if the box uh, is one they want this month or not, kind of like Book of the Month Club. You know, and I got a shaving kit, a variety of stuff, very manly. Bespokepost.com slash twit to save 20%. And this is the box of coffee. Awesome. We sent you that, Steve, so that you I, could enjoy it. Because we know how you feel. Too. You probably don't want socks. 
I got socks. The socks sold out. The so- they had these great Argyle <laughs> socks. They sold out. Cool. Yeah. They, I think you can go back in time. Just visit Bespoke Post and find out. Yep. All right, Steve. I'm ready for homomorphic. We'll do that in a second because I wanted to share a fun story. Oh, yeah. That I, that I was sent by a listener, James V. in Northamptonshire, England, who caught my attention with the subject like Spinrite produces the evidence. Now, mm. we can probably already guess what that's going to be about, mm. but the details are interesting. He said, hi, Steve. Spinrite saves the evidence. Or, if you like, Spinrite catches the criminals. We use a lot of standalone video recorders on our customers' sites. This is a, He's with a security company in the U.K. He said, as you well know, this application treats hard drives very hard as the 400... H264 images every second are constantly written to the drives. Wow. 400. 400 a second. Maybe he's got multiple cameras. So anyway, he says, so we get a call from a customer of ours saying that there's been an incident and the police are wanting a copy of the images from our security camera system to permit them to investigate. So an engineer is duly dispatched to the site. No broadband access for security reasons. Of course, he's a Security Now listener, so he understands you just really can't connect, period. He says, on arrival, I receive a worrying phone call from the engineer saying that the DVR is, quote, hot enough to fry an egg on (laughs) and doesn't work properly. Oh, dear. The machine is swapped out and brought back to the workshop where we confirm that the machine goes no further than the bootloader. We poke, prod, and mess with the drive connections until we get the unit to boot. But guess what? The evidential images we need are on the drive we had to disconnect in order to get it to boot at all. One conversation with our IT guy, and he suggests Spinrite. Now, having listened to the Security Now podcast, I know how Spinrite has saved the day and saved the pizza. But can it save the CCTV? The HDDs are formatted in some form of proprietary Linux configuration by the machine, which locks down the part of the disk used to make unreadable, to make it unreadable out of the DVR, both under Linux and Windows. So we were a little unsure, to say the least. The IT guy arrives, plugs the HDD, the hard drive, into a spare desktop and cranks up his copy of Spinrite. The drive makes some strange sounds. But he says in parens, bearings? And then he says, next morning, the drive was a bit warm and Dynastat had done some business. I think it said it had recovered some sectors. So we quit out of Spinrite before it had finished and remounted the drive. Lo and behold, we could access the images which were quickly exported to DVD. I understand that thanks to the recovered imagery, the criminals were apprehended and had no choice but to plead guilty in court, both receiving custodial sentences. The world is truly a safer place with Spinrite. Without it, there would have been no evidence or conviction. We also have upgraded maintenance contract with a customer, which includes twice yearly HDD checks with, you guessed it, Spinrite. I'll be purchasing a copy of Spinrite on behalf of our customer today, a bargain at around 60 of our GBP. 
Thank you for Spinrite, and also thank you and Leo and Tom for the great podcasts. Proof now exists that you make the world a lot safer place. James, Northamptonshire, England. Northamptonshire. Sure. Sure. Are you sure? I'm sure. I bet you are. (laughs) But you don't say Worcestershire sauce, do you? You say Worcestershire. You're not going to be sure of anything after we get through with (laughs) No, I'm ready to have my brain scrambled. Okay, Uh, when when you're talking about homomorphic encryption, you run across sentences like the decisional composite residuosity assumption Uh. is the intractability hypothesis upon which this crypto system is based. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, Put that on your (laughs) T-shirt. You know, they could write that more clearly. I think that's intentionally turgid. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, so... RSA Labs glossary definition says of something called probabilistic encryption. This is something we've never talked about before. Everything we've ever discussed has been deterministic encryption, meaning that that whether it's a symmetric cipher where we un, under the influence of a key, you put something in and you get something different out and there's a way to reverse that. The idea is every time you put the same thing in, you get the same thing out. But early researchers in encryption a few decades ago were concerned that that, that weakened the system. That is, if you always put the if you always got out the same thing for what you put in, didn't that coupling create some weakness in the system? So what was what what was and this is a couple decades worth of work there was this notion of probabilistic encryption where your in your, your actual encryption algorithm would produce a a different result every time you used it with the same data so that it broke that deterministic aspect deliberately and so if even if the same data was encrypted you would get different results now we know those of us who have been really paying attention will know that we've solved that problem in other means we have the notion of a of a of a cipher like like Rindahl, for example the aes cipher and or or any other cipher but then what we've done is We've created these block chaining modes where we take we, we take a so-called initialization vector, an IV, and that is given a, a pseudo-random value, which can be known. It's okay if we, if we know it. In fact, often it's like the first, it's the start of the message is here's the initialization vector under which we're going to encrypt this block and then you take that and mix that with your input then encrypt it then you take that encrypted output and mix that with the input of the next block and encrypt it in other words you you link these together sequentially to create a chain so that's the way we solve the problem of which truly was a problem of in, in terms of information leakage, is if you encrypted the same thing and got the same result, then even if, if even if 
someone didn't know what the input was, if they inspected lots of outputs, right. they could see when things were the same and begin to draw conclusions. So this For eliminates example, that do- problem. But how is it reversible? That's what I don't get because you don't know. All right, I'll let you explain. You're right. <laughs> it, it is tricky. Okay, so so a whole different approach is probabilistic encryption. So the RSA Labs glossary says probabilistic encryption is a design approach for encryption where a message is encrypted into one of many possible ciphertexts, not just a single ciphertext as in deterministic encryption. This is done in such a way that it is provably as hard to obtain partial information about the message from the ciphertext as it is to solve some hard problem. In previous approaches to encryption, even though it was not always known whether one could obtain such partial information, it was not proved that one could not do so. Now, okay, what that meant is that notice that in all of the crypto we've ever talked about, we've relied on an assumption that is, For example, it has never been proved that standard RSA public key crypto is safe. It relies on the presumed difficulty of factoring large primes. But no one's ever been able to prove that it's hard to factor large primes. We just know it is. But but knowing something and proving it are, you know, worlds apart in terms of, of academic crypto technology. So, so what we've done by stepping from the world of deterministic encryption with presumed security is we actually have provable security for the first time. I mean, for the first time, we, this is, that's one of the things this gives us. So, so what happened was back Shortly after the original RSA guys invented this uh, factoring strength, you know, factoring based asymmetric encryption, is they noticed that there was a property that their approach had this so-called homomorphism, and and they they wrote a few months after developing RSA about sort of this, they pose this question. Um, Now, homomorphism, um, you know, look, if we just break the word down, homo and morphic, no, that means same shape, essentially. Um, And and the concept is that you you can apply different processes to the same data and get the same result. Uh, a, a simple example would be, for example, the way we know that we can multiply A and B to get a result we'll call C. But we also know we can add the logarithms of A and B in order to get the logarithm of C. And and so so those are homomorphic operations, that is, A times B equals C and log A plus log B equals log C. So so 
what happened was this idea just sort of sat doing nothing until just three years ago. And one of the cool things about this is now we're talking about state-of-the-art, leading-edge, bleeding-edge crypto, which has got everybody excited. Just three years ago, a... Um, a doctoral candidate, a grad student at Stanford named Craig Gentry wrote a Ph.D. thesis and boy, did he get his doctorate. I, IBM research snapped him up immediately. So this was in 2009. He stunned the crypto world by by laying out a fully working, fully homomorphic crypto system. So so. What that means is, as I said at the top of the show, is he demonstrated, and I'm going to explain enough of this that very much in the same way as I did two weeks ago with elliptic curve crypto, that we, you know, will sort of have a conversational knowledge, you know, sort of a conversational understanding of how this works, you know. <laughs> I mean, we're not going to go write the code um, and, and I, well, for lots of reasons, there are many complexities to doing this. But but what this what 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 Craig demonstrated in his in his doctoral thesis was that it was absolutely possible to perform addition and multiplication operations on encrypted data, where at every stage of the way. The crypt, the data remained encrypted. The result was encrypted, and no one doing that work ever gained any information at all about the nature of the data they were doing the work on. And when the and that when the answer then was returned to the person with the key, they were able to decrypt it, and the result after decryption was exactly the same as if that that the same operations had been performed on the unencrypted data. So this is huge for the future. Um, this allows, and as I'm reading, like people talking or dreaming about applications. I mean, for example, corporations could sub out work on their data in the cloud leaving it fully secured at all times and have data processing done on the data with never having to trust. I mean, th this takes TNO and squares it um, because they, they never have to trust anyone they hand their data to. They can have it processed and returned. Um, there, there's actually the, 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 the cryptologists have designed search engines where your query is never known to the search engine. The search engine doesn't know what results it finds for you, yet it sends them back. And you then are able to decrypt them and get the results of your query with total privacy. And the really interesting applications are in the utterly tamper-proof electronic voting sphere where it, it is possible to make to get anonymity and absolute tamper proofing in a in a homomorphic encryption setting. So as a consequence of the fact that this is sort of on the leading edge 
of what's going on and that I wouldn't be at all surprised if we start hearing more about this in the future. I thought that now would be a good time to to bring everyone, sort of give everyone a sense for how this works. So we need to sort of, we need to step back and create some analogies that that I will then use to sort of to to move us forward. Um, back in the early days of computing, before digital computers, we had analog computers, and they were patch boards of analog functions. Like you could have an adder, which where where you'd have like two voltages or two currents, depending upon whether this thing worked on voltage, whether it considered voltage to be the thing that carried the value or the current carried the value, but whichever, it would it would take two of those and sum them and then produce an output that was the sum of that was equal to the sum of the the two input values. And you could have a divider where you would you would you would put in the two values to be divided, and you would get the result from that. Um, you could integrate. You, you you could basically perform all the standard operations we're familiar with in a in an analog environment. Now, one of the problems if you if you patch together a really sophisticated equation, which is what early computer analog computer pioneers did, one of the problems is that you would accumulate errors because as your inputs moved through more of these stages, they, you know, each stage introduced some error. Could be really, really small, but still it was non-zero. Um, just due to, for example, temperature in the room could cause some drift in the amplification of of the adder or component even though they they'd worked to to trim the component tolerances to be exact you know the the two inputs to the adder might not have exactly the same signal strength in in affecting the output so uh, well and even even simple components like resistors, capacitors, transistors, and back in the day, tubes. There was something in tubes called thermionic noise, um, but just just thermal noise, just just actual noise from the physical the the physical electron movement in the devices introduced some 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 errors and noise. So so the problem was this was additive. As the signal moved through a patch board of these modules, additions and multiplications and integrations and divisions and so forth. And so you, there was a limit to how much computing you could do before you had a problem with the famous signal to noise ratio. That is the signal being the actual result and the noise being the uncertainty created by the fact that this was all sort of, you know, the best we could do, but not certain. And in fact, it is arguably the fact that digital systems don't have any of this problem, 
which has allowed digital technology to take off the way it has. As we know, in a digital system, as compared to an analog system, in an analog system, we've got a continuously varying voltage. In a digital system, we, we decide instead we're, we're, going to, we're going to tolerate some imprecision in the exact specification of a value that's known as quantization. Um, in return, though, we're going to get absolutely noise-free processing. That noise cannot creep in because at every stage we're dealing with with either a, you know famously a one or a zero, and and each stage of our system sort of reasserts the oneness or the zeroness, so that even even values that are not quite one or zero, when they're being put in, they come out, you know, strongly one or zero on the output. So, so, okay, so I wanted to kind of create that picture in everyone's mind of a network of processes that are a little noisy and the depth of the network that you can create is limited because at some point too much noise accumulates because bizarre as it sounds, this bears directly on probabilistic encryption. Um, um, imagine a imagine a simple cipher, a simple encryption where you have a a single dimension, think of it maybe like a rope with knots along it, and and these nodes or knots represent values that are well understood because of their position. And that that the act of encrypting is choosing a node along this line and then deliberately deliberately adding some noise that is shifting the location a pseudo random amount away from the proper location so we deliberately add some noise to our to the location that we're choosing for a value now the the key in this system the cryptographic key determines where these nodes are located and they're not all uniformly positioned there's a there's a complex calculation for for where these nodes are located so that only somebody with the key knows where the nodes are. Now, we have this notion already of, of addition from like, you know, you take two values and you sum them. So imagine that we take, we, we create two of these quantities with some noise and we add them together to get like on this timeline, on this linear scale, to get their sum. Well, that's going to fall somewhere. And, and notice that 
the the noise that we added to each of the of the terms being summed the noise sums as well so that our final position will be a function of both of the input terms and both of the noise terms the the the, the pseudo random sort of fudge factors the noise that was deliberately put in well as long as that's not too much as long as there's not too much noise we we are our sum lands on this scale and and in a if this is sufficiently large and we have sufficiently a sufficiently large resolution then the that result doesn't mean anything to the person carrying out that operation that is all they know is they they received a couple values and they added them but there's no meaning to it because the the the, the meaning is a function of where it falls relative to the nodes sort of the the location markers on that scale and that is only known to the person holding the key so you sort of see how it's possible to to by by deliberately adding noise and having an unknown uh, a scale which is not known to the person doing the work but which but um but which is known to the person receiving the answer that it's possible to have to sort of subcontract the work of doing the addition and the person doing it knows they've added a couple numbers but they don't know anything about the actual underlying data well that's that that's a that's a a, a 10,000 foot sort of sense for for how this probabilistic encryption operates um the the actual work that is done is not done on a on a one dimensional line or even a two dimensional plane or even a three dimensional space it's actually done on in in something in, in abstract algebra uh called a lattice and these are n dimensional n dimensional can interconnected spaces where the dimensions are like 512 dimensions or 20 2048 dimensions um or larger so you know they're they're not they're there's something you can you can you know we can visualize a cube in in three dimensions and you can envision okay like in four space you'd have you'd have families or or sets of cubes at the different you know at, at, in in a series of node locations and so forth so mathematically you can represent this even though it's arguably rather difficult to visualize it um and so the the way these systems actually work in these lattices is that the the at the, the work being done is fine is is moving a point through a this hyperdimensional lattice with noise 
so that so that the the processes that are available are addition and multiplication although it's been shown that we can do anything that we want to with just those two operations so that's from a from a theoretical math standpoint that's sufficient and the problem is that that this system that i've described so far is homomorphic in that it, it satisfies that criteria but but the problem is this noise accumulation because because as you do operations on data that is deliberately noisy as i said in the case of addition you are doubling the noise when you add two factors together in multiplication you are squaring the noise when you multiply two factors together so noise gets out of hand very quickly and and very much in the same way as with an analog computer where you can only go so many stages and the noise begins to overwhelm the signal the the, the way this system works is once we're done processing we need and we're at some location in this hyperdimensional lattice we need to determine the, the 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 answer that is the actual the actual decrypted result is the node we are closest to and so you can see that and that's going to and so our movement through this n-dimensional space has been deliberately noisy to obscure any actual values and we need to then determine which final you know node in this 8000 dimensional lattice we're physically closest to so so the point is that as we do these processes the noise accumulates and that limits how much work we can do well a fully homomorphic system has no limits that is it by definition the definition of a fully homomorphic encryption system is one where you can perform any operation that is of of an arbitrary of arbitrary complexity and this is craig's invention i mean this this amazing insight he had was he said wait a minute is it possible to perform a re-encryption of the data in this process that is essentially can can the this homomorphic encryption perform its own encryption because if it can that is if there's if there's time to perform this encryption without its own noise overwhelming it then it's essentially able to to re-encrypt the data and and zero out the noise and initially he was unable to do it but by by using much larger word lengths and a more complex topology he was able to trade that off for the number of operations needed such that he was able to perform a re-encryption of the data itself without noise getting in the way and as soon as he was able to do that 
he had a fully homomorphic encryption system that can perform any operation that we know of in in computation while keeping the data encrypted and never allowing this noise to get out of control because after some number of steps, then essentially the data is is re-encrypted, never never returning it to plain text, but re sort of re-zeroing out the noise so that it it never overwhelms the system. And now <laughs> um, to give some sense for why we're a ways away, um, uh, um, his fully homomorphic encryption, uh, he has he has four classes of of system sizes. First of all, I should say that I, IBM Research snatched him up, and he's continuing to work on this. It's been three years since his paper was published. After it published, it shocked the crypto world and got everybody excited because they you know didn't know what they were going to do for their summer, um, and they began playing with this. So there have been lots of variations, lots of ideas. I mean, basically, this is an active area of current crypto research. Um, so at IBM, he has built one. He has implemented this, and he was originally thinking that he would use one of the IBM crazy, you know, Watson hypercomputer deals. Turns out they were able to implement this on a much more modest system. He has four, four sort of scales of the system. He has a toy system, which is, he calls it two to the ninth, which is to say it is a, it is a 512 dimension lattice. A small one is two to the 11th. A medium one is two to the 13th. And a large one is two to the 15th. And, and that being, you know, beginning to be practical security. But to give you a sense for why we're a ways away is implementing this system on standard technology computers. And this is why I'm not worried about it in the long term. We're going to fix our computers if we're interested in this to do it. But, for example, the the somewhat homomorphic encryption system, not, not the fully, but the somewhat. Just in the toy implementation using a 512 dimension lattice requires a bit length for its processing of 200,000 bits. <laughs> so, so incredibly long word lengths. Um, the 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 public key used in the fully homomorphic encryption system uh, is 17 megabytes in size. Um, and it takes 2.4 seconds to generate the public key using the fastest available standard machines. Um, the, the large size fully homomorphic encryption system, that is the, the one that is 2 to the 15th, which is 32768 dimensional lattice, requires two hours to just to generate the key, which is 2.3 gigabytes in size. Um, so 
So what we have is a an entirely different way of of encrypting and treating data. And it has almost none of the characteristics we're used to thinking about when we talk about standard deterministic crypto, whether it's symmetric or asymmetric encryption. Um, it's process, it's just not suited for, for the way our current standard computers are structured with, you know, 64-bit word lengths. These things need, um, actually, this, uh, this somewhat homomorphic encryption uh, of the large size, 2 to the 15th, uses a 13 million bit integer to to do its work. So we need a, a completely different technology of computing in order to work with this. Um, I the the feeling is this has a huge future. We're at the beginning of it and as cryptography always does, it will get faster it will get better people will come up with shortcuts they'll come up with with other ways to do things there are this notion of a of noise in a lattice is only one of a number of of non-deterministic encryption schemes that have been proposed there are some others there are some that use greatest common divisors there are some that use large families of simultaneous equations where some some statistical probability of of individual equations being incorrect is like is a hard problem to solve and so there are there are like very different approaches that are being explored um i'm excited because th- this opens up something like completely new in a in the field of of crypto research and and behind it will be in tomorrow's applications that will work in a way which is completely foreign to the way we're used to thinking of things. And one can imagine, you know, 20, 30 years from now, people will say, well, wasn't crypto always done this way? And it's like, uh, no. What we used to have was really stupid by comparison. <laughs> Big improvement. Yes. All right, I understood zero of what you said, but I, <laughs> I trust that it was all made perfect sense. Well, the idea uh, is that there is... What's the executive summary for Leo? (laughs) (laughs) It's that uh, if, let's see, if your data has noise and you know how much noise it has and you want to operate on it, as long as you don't do too much, then the noise doesn't overwhelm the signal and then you you can remove the noise. And and that's useful because you can you can give the noisy data to somebody else, have them do the work, and because it's noisy, they don't get any information from it. Yet the work they do is useful to you because you know how to extract the noise from the signal. Or wait, the signal from the noise. So there's the even more condensed version. Good. <laughs> And my and my goal here. I'm trying to decide as, whether to pretend I understood that or just go. No, I. My, my goal here, as with elliptic curve crypto, um, is not to turn us into homomorphic 
crypto people, but just so that I, I'll bet you no, a good. year from now, we'll it'll come around it. yeah. and someone will say, oh, yeah, you know, Google just added homomorphic encryption. Like, oh, well, we know what that is. That's podcast 376 yes. on Halloween of 2012. Go back and listen to it. <laughs> and you still won't know what it is. Hey, did you have an opinion? We we uh, we talked a lot about it uh, during the week. And uh, I think there's probably not much to say but uh, about the uh, hack of, uh, what was it, three Three million plus social security numbers in South Carolina. Uh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing much to say. Uh, th th they decided not to encrypt the uh, data. Yeah, it's and unbelievable. Uh, and the rationale was, well, just you know, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't encrypted yesterday, and it was just fine. Yeah. So, so we, we and didn't it's, need and to. It's still not encrypted today, and we assume yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah. Well, that assumption got broken. And then, of course, they go on and on about how sophisticated the international hacker. I love the yeah. the international hacker was who amazing what the skills this person showed to get to steal our data. Oh, uh, well, there's nothing yeah. much to Someone's say. Secretary except, clicked on a link. Yeah, I mean, that's what brought RSA down yeah. was, you know, some some administrative assistant clicked a link in email and that was the entree into the RSA network that allowed them to steal all those all the private keys. Yeah, so, I guess the yeah. you know the the only uh, silver lining is I would hope that CTOs in every other state are looking at South Carolina and going, God, I hope that doesn't happen to us. Maybe we better encrypt our data. But I feel so yeah. sorry for the three million South Carolinians oh. who now they're now some encryption was done apparently on the credit cards. Uh, that they used to pay their taxes, but none on the social security number, personal information. So they're giving wow. each and every one of them a year's free uh, credit report. <laughs> credit report. <laughs> yeah. Which is, you know, it, it's that's nice, but um, identity theft, boy, I'm sure you've heard the horror stories, oh, yeah. Leo, about how difficult it is to get back your identity once it's been stolen. And, well, and the... Uh, and the governor uh, of North Carolina uh, said that she, in fact, uh, she and her husband had suffered identity fraud, and it was a very painful thing, and she know how, knows how we feel. So I, that makes me feel better. I wonder if they would have a philosophical objection to homo homomorphic encryption in that, South Carolina. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know what it is, but it, what, really not in the, not, God it, did not intend for, <laughs> for probabilistic encryption solutions... I, it was, it's clearly written that the deterministic solutions are the only approved. And you know, you standard. know, Leo, if we, ha if we had done this on April 1st, no one would have believed this podcast. <laughs> they would have thought, Steve, that is the best darn <laughs> what a fake. April Fool's Security Now podcast I, we have ever heard of. Oh, lordy, lordy. Right down to the, right down to the name. They'd go, where did you come yeah, up with that? come on. You made that up, didn't you? Uh, oh, God. Steve Gibson's at grc.com. That's his website. That's where you can get Spinrite, the world's best hard drive maintenance and recovery utility. You can also uh, get lots of free stuff there and all sorts of information, not uh, not the least of which his health information. If you go to grc.com slash health, you'll find links there to all the books and, and to our most recent Sugar Hill episode. We did a third episode on Sunday. Uh, that's also a Twit special, I think number one four three. But uh, I'm sure you have a link on the uh, website there as yep. well. And 16 kilobit versions of this show. And it's for the people who are bandwidth impaired. Transcripts too, which makes it for a show like this kind of important. 
You can you can go over it line by line. You can line your birdcage with it. No, I think, in fact, nope. this would be a great exercise for people who want to strengthen their brains. It'll uh, be an exercise for Elaine, that's for sure. <laughs> Elaine's gone, oh. You can follow <laughs> St- oh. You can follow Steve on Twitter at SGGRC. Um, and, uh, well, we do this show every... I won't be here next Wednesday, but normally every Wednesday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, that is going to be 1900 UTC next Wednesday because of the... Uh, we, we go we go off summertime. Yay, we fall back. Yep, 1900 UTC. Uh, however, uh, Tom Merritt will be hosting for the next few weeks as I head down under for a, cool. uh, a cruise, a geek cruise. So I won't see you till after Thanksgiving. Have a great Thanksgiving. Will do. Yourself too, my friend. Have a great trip. And See you in uh, December. We'll talk to you in four weeks. See wow. you in December, Steve. Yeah. See you in... Is that weird or what? <laughs> it is. See you in December. Uh. On Security Now. Security Now.